Check, check, there we go. All right, got a favor to ask. So uh, I did, I really goofed this up in the first service, so be thankful you're here <laughs> and not in the first service. I totally goofed it up. So I want you to stand up and come as close as your courage will allow you to the front. And as start walking now, start walking now. And once you get up, this is the part I goofed up. Once you get sit, sitting close to somebody else, stand up, everybody stand up, stand up, stand up. Move close to the front, first two or three rows. Find a seat, find a seat. Go ahead and keep standing though. I'm gonna have you do something standing. So stand up, keep moving. So here's what I want you to do. This is the part I screwed up. Um, so we're gonna take turns turning to the person next to us and repeating after me. So I did this dumb thing and I told everybody to turn to the left. And so this person's talking to that person's back. That's not what I wanted. So turn, no, no, sit at a seat. You're gonna stay, come and find a new seat. Everybody come find a new seat. Go, go, find a new seat, everybody. Don't stand in the aisle, sorry. Find a new seat. See, I'm not very clear. You're actually gonna move somewhere different today. That's the deal. We're going to sit closer. All right. So turn to somebody right now that's to your left or right. So don't look at somebody's back or do a threesome if you have to, if you, if you have to, you know, do three, but turn and look at somebody and uh, repeat, repeat after me. God is in a good mood. He's going to put more gratitude. In your, attitude. in your attitude. I believe it. I believe now turn to the turn and look at somebody else. All right? Look at somebody else. Look at them right there. Look at, look at somebody. Don't be looking at a back. Get, get some eyes somewhere. God is in a good mood today. And he's going to put more gratitude in your attitude. I believe it. All right. Sit down. That's great. Thank you. So, so glad to be here. Glad to be here. So let me start with just uh, a general thing. We're going to go through a series of three big ideas and three big lies. All right. That's kind of your map for our time together. Three big ideas and then three big lies that seek to undermine those three big ideas. Everybody got it? All right. And I've got one little doodle, the picture here that I'm going to draw at some point. So let's jump right in because as always, I always run out of time and I did it during the first service. Oh, first of all, uh, a lot of you probably think that I'm single and I don't have a family, but my family is here today. Connie and Joy, if you'll stand and I'll embarrass you. Stand up, stand up. So Connie and Joy, my wife and my daughter, are here today, and uh, I'm so glad they're here. So it's wonderful uh, when they can be with us, so that's awesome. So, so first text, uh, if you've got your Bible Bible, like actual pages, or if you've got a digital thing, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, and here's what it says. Be careful how you live. Don't live like ignorant people, but like wise people. Duh. Everybody say, duh. 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 Isn't there a song where they got that little refrain in there? Duh. <laughs> like, duh. Yes. We want to live like wise people. 
How do we live like wise people? Make good use of every opportunity you have. Now, I didn't underscore this in the first uh, gathering, but pay attention to these big words like every, yeah? Every opportunity. Because these are evil days. Don't be fools then, but try to find out what the Lord wants you to do. Try and find out what the Lord wants you to do. Don't get drunk with wine. Duh. Come on. Duh. Don't get drunk with wine. Duh. Duh. Think, oh, you guys are awesome. I'm so glad you're up front. You're going to help me out a ton. Don't get drunk with wine, which only will ruin you, which will only ruin you. Yeah, we got it. Duh. Instead... Be filled with the Spirit. And here's what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Basically, as we speak to each other, let our words be guided by God's words. Now, he just happened to choose different things that were in their religious faith community is like speak encourage one another with these kinds of things sow seeds good seeds into other people with these kinds of words not just go bucks or yay bucks now it's fine to say go bucks and yay bucks the bucks won yesterday you guys is that right all right good stay with me here this this is like a small group here we can just kind of talk to each other go back and forth Dwayne what the heck are you talking about Right? So we can have this conversation with each other that is driven by the Spirit, and we speak spiritual words to each other. That's basically what he's saying. Speak to one another with words of psalms, hymns, sacred songs. Sing hymns and psalms to the Lord with praise in your hearts. So there's this conversation that's going this way, and this conversation that's going this way that's guided by someone. The Holy Spirit. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we're going to start right here. Always, pay attention to that word, always give thanks for everything to God the Father. Now, a little bit of just reality check here. Often when I read the Bible and I see these all-inclusive words like always everything, I assume that what God's winking, he's going, eh, eh. I really don't, I don't, practically speaking, not always, come on, right? Not everything, right? Like, I dismiss what God is saying and think it must be Bible hyperbole, yeah? It, it can't really mean we're supposed to live this way, and so we get this disconnect between what the Bible says and what we do. Are you tracking with me here? Like, people argue about the Bible being inspired, and they fight with one another and are rude to one another to prove a point that the Bible is God's inspired word. But when it comes to actually doing what the Bible says, (laughs) duh, you know, it's just like, I'm not sure he really meant that, right? They're just words, yes? Well, I'm going to suggest that God really means for us to always give thanks for everything. That really is his attention, and he's actually provided a way 
to do it. It is doable. So here's our first big idea that's on the screen. Where God guides, he provides. Where God guides, where he wants you to go, he provides the capacity to go there. What God wants you to do, he's going to create in your being. He's going to do something in your being, in who you are, so that you can do what he wants you to do. This is the big idea. This is the big enchilada that I want you to get your heart and your brain around today and see if it can start to change how you think. This principle right here is what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. All other religions give us something to strive to do so that we can measure up to the ideals of whatever that religion is. God says, I am going to provide the capacity for you to do everything I want you to do. We don't do things on our own. That's not the way it works. God provides so that he can guide. Slide number three. So this idea that God is going to do something in us first before he asks us to do something goes all the way back to a prophecy that was made by Ezekiel and others about this coming day in the future. And that coming day he's talking about is the life of Jesus, the cross that Jesus died on, the tomb that he vacated, and a special day about 50 days later called Pentecost. That little window of events is something that Ezekiel is talking about in this passage. I want you to pay attention to all of the yellow eyes where God is speak, speaking and think about in this transaction between God and us, what is God doing and what are we doing? Think about that as we read. The prophet says, speaking as if he is God's message, right? I, God, even though it's Ezekiel writing, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all, everybody say all, all. Is that Bible hyperbole? No. All your impurities and from all, is that Bible hyperbole? No. All your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And here's a key phrase, move you. God is saying that this gift that's ours is going to move us. God provides so that he can guide. God does something in us so that he can change the way that we behave. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to my laws. Now, this is the essence of the new covenant. This is it. This is the whole enchilada. I realize... Actually, every time I teach, I say the same thing over and over, and I try to say it in different ways. 
if we get this big idea that it's not about us striving to attain something or trying to be something so that God accepts us. If we can get that turned around, it puts more gratitude in our attitude. God is not just saying, if you want me to like you more, be thankful more often. I just think you need to be thankful for more often. You just need to be more thankful. Be more thankful. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's not how thankfulness works. That's not how gratitude works. You just don't, <clears throat> I'm going to be more gra grateful. It doesn't work that way, does it? Let's be real. This is something that's in us because of what? A new heart and a spirit. And that old heart of stone gets reborn into a heart of flesh. Ah, I feel gratitude. I recently heard uh, Ryan uh, Leslie give a testimony of what God is doing in his heart so that just naturally, supernaturally, he's just kind of getting surprised and it's like, I think this is happening in me. Take a look at Ryan's testimony on this video. Hi, my name is Ryan and I'd like to tell you guys a story today about how I believe God's working in my life. I'd like to talk about some events that um, I'm sure you guys all experience where you just get this, this sense of awe, wonder, uh, warm fuzzies, just joy deep down. It could be a lot of things, maybe in you know a beautiful sunset, there's been, this late fall has had some really, really great evening displays of, of color, and, and I'm a sucker for those kind of things, and maybe it could be uh, at work, right? I, you know, recently I finished some big projects, and you get that pat on the back, you, you know, sometimes you just feel, you feel worthy and you feel great. Um, maybe if, if you got kids, or you play with kids, they tend to inspire this stuff too. Um, just maybe and sometimes something they say that's that's silly or maybe it's something that you know they say and you're like wow they got it and those events are are, are things we cherish in our lives but lately um, I've had a couple of those events where there wasn't an obvious trigger um, that was the other day I was put the kids to bed and was sitting down in the chair just doing some thinking join the peace but I got a sense of, of different peace and no not not because the kids are in bed and it's quiet in the house but a shalom peace a, a complete wholeness a, a well-being a joy that you know, just sense that God's presence yeah the other day I was driving home from uh, spending a morning with my daughter and listening to music and and kind of got that that same feeling again just got warm all over and just felt that you know, Jesus was present and was letting me know that you know, He is enough for me. And just thinking about those, why did I experience those? Where did those even come from? And I don't know, but, but maybe, just maybe, that was the presence of the Spirit in me giving me affirmation, letting me know it was, everything was good, because God is good. So here's what I think is going on in Ryan right now, is that 
he's understanding this principle that his being, his well-being is determined because he has a good, good father who loves him first. Like God started the love relationship, so there's a connection between God and Ryan that causes him to do a certain thing. So here's, here's why I like to see it this way right here. Hopefully you guys can get my lovely handwriting. I've got the best handwriting. You guys are going to be so jealous when you see my handwriting. It is amazing. You can be like, did he go to some special school to learn how to do that? Not. So, it starts with this idea that apart from what I do, I have a good, good father who now, there's a story of uh, the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And when you get towards the end of that story, there's a guy who doesn't take the money that the master has given him and reinvests it, but he buries it. It's an old parable you, you've heard before. Okay? There's an interesting line that he says to the master to explain why he buried the resources that the master gave him. And so when the master's like, why did you do this? Why did you take my gift that I gave you? Why did you bury it? And he speaks this untruth to the master, which was totally not true. And he said, I knew that you were a harsh master and that you tried to reap in places that you had not sown. Now, that lie that the servant was believing was exactly that he was not a good master. Like, you're going to ask things from me that you first haven't given to me. And the master's like, duh. <laughs> I gave you all of this. I am a giving father. The parable of the prodigal son is really not trying to highlight and accentuate the fact that a son went wayward and acted carelessly. The story of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, is really about a God who is so generous that it looks like he's wasteful. That is the story of the prodigal son, a.k.a. the prodigal God. That is the essence of our good father. He wants to give you, he wants to give me, apart from our behavior, all of his resources. Hello, are you with me? That is the essence of Christianity. And what that allows us to do when we believe this big idea is that it, it, it changes our being. It changes our identity. This is where it starts. Then, out of that new identity, I have a father who's going to take care of me, just like he takes care of sparrows, and he takes care of flowers, and he is good all the time. In fact, he's always in a good mood. I bet when you first said that, that God is in a good mood, you had a little bit of a head jerk. It's like, does God have a mood? <laughs> I know that I get in a bad mood. I can have a good mood. Does God have moods? Well, if God does have mood, I think he's always in a good mood. He's a good, good father. Yeah? And out of that knowledge, 
that my identity is set by a good father who is so giving towards me that it looks like he's wasteful, he's prodigal, he's careless in giving me good things. Yes? How many of you... Who doesn't like to be invested in? Who doesn't like gifts? Right? Everybody loves it. It feels good. If you suddenly got a check in the mail for a million dollars, would you feel good? Would you worry about whether or not I deserved it or whatever? You'd cash it, right? <laughs> I would cash it. Oh, I don't know if I'm worth this million dollars. I'm going to cash it. God wants us to cash our new identity so that we can do. I am so thankful. I feel thankful because I know this. Now, the essence of how we operate and how other religions operate is exactly backwards. It says, if I will do or not do certain things, right? If I will keep these commandments and I will not break these commandments, I feel better about who I am. And then I can stick my chest out and I can smile. I have done so good and I have avoided doing all of the bad things that I can now come to my father and now he'll feel good about me. That is the essence about how we want to operate and how religions operate. This is backwards. This is the right way. Tracking with me? So there's a prophecy in Ezekiel 36 that explains this exactly, and we're going to put it on the screen. I want you to notice all the things that God says, this prodigal God says he's going to do hundreds of years before Jesus even came on the scene. And here's what he says. I, God, will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I already read this. Dwayne? You already read this, but we should read it again. Thank you. I forgot to turn, turn the page. When I was reading it, it's like, I read this in the last service. No, I read this just a few minutes ago. <laughs> but it is important. Thank you, Leo. I think we need to read this again, having done this and talked about the prodigal. Okay, so thank you, Leo. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. If in your identity you don't feel clean, you're not going to be a happy camper. If you feel guilt and shame, you're not going to be a happy camper and you're not going to be grateful. I'm telling you, it, it doesn't work that way. If you don't feel forgiven, you're not going to forgive other people. It just doesn't work that way. You wonder, why in the world am I so critical, judgmental, and I hold things against people all the time and I'm mad? It's because you've not received the gift of forgiveness. Well, how, Dwayne, how do you know that God has forgiven me? Ezekiel 36, 25. That's how I know. I will cleanse you from all, everybody say all, your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. See, in the old covenant, God lived in a building. 
a temple, a tabernacle. In the new covenant, we are the temples. This building is not a temple. In a moment, I'm going to talk about how the new wine is related to the new covenant. And I learned, someone told me, well, in the book of covenant, the Methodist book, you can't have wine in the church. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not being critical here, but that's odd to me. That if Jesus turned water into wine, and when he served communion, it was wine, that we would say that it can't be in church. Are, are you tracking with me here? I mean, that's fine if it's in, I didn't know it was in some kind of rule book. But that's odd, isn't it? Here's the essence of the covenant that Ezekiel 36 is talking about. All right? So I, I want to do this. This is really good. In a covenant relationship, I am making an agreement. It's not like a contract. I am basically saying, I'm going to make a new deal with you, and here's how it works. I, Jesus, am going to represent God. I am God in the flesh. But I am also going to represent humanity because I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. To make sure nobody messes this deal up, this covenant, I'm going to represent both parties. Are you with me? I'm going to stand in for y'all, and I'm going to stand in for God. Tracking with me so far? And to make sure we really don't mess this up, I'm not going to go out and get some animal, a sheep. I don't care how spotless it is. I'm going to be the lamb too. I'm going to make sure this covenant goes without a hitch. Yeah? And so on the cross, Jesus is the lamb of God. He is the son of God. He is the son of man representing us. And all we have to say is, I want what you provided for me when you stood in my place. I should, we should have the staples button. That was easy. Are you tracking with me? How do I know this is true? It's the new covenant. We celebrate the new wine, and we drink that because it's emblematic of the Holy Spirit who makes us new temples. That was free. First big lie. Next slide. If God has complete control of my life, I'll be miserable. That's a lie. Most of us are super, super in control of our lives, and I want to ask you a serious question. How's your life going, really, with you in charge? How's it going? What if... There was a God who gave me a gift of someone who would actually guide my life. Would he mess it up? Would I be miserable? Next slide. Go back to Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like ignorant people, but like wise people. Make good use of every opportunity you have because these days are evil. Don't be fools then, but try to find out what the Lord wants you to do. Don't get drunk with wine which will only ruin you, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is intriguing to me, again, because it is a duh statement that we know if you drink too much wine, everything kind of goes south, right? 
your reasoning goes south, your bodily, like you can't even walk a straight line. You've seen that before, right? You know, you have to do this and you have to do all this kind of stuff. Like everything goes south if you have too much wine, yes? Conversely, conversely, if it is true that God has given his Holy Spirit to all of us so that we can be temples and tabernacles, if that is true, yes? And if it's like a liquid substance, like wine, that influences how we behave, would it not make sense, the opposite of being intoxicated with wine, that if we were intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, that that would be a good thing? Does that logically make sense to us? Yes. That logically makes sense to me. And so God is grappling all the time, how do I get a word picture that folks will understand my gift? It's like drinking a glass of wine. Drink a glass of my Holy Spirit, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Allow it to fill you and it will control your behavior. Drink a lot of wine, it will control your behavior. Duh, right? We get that. The Holy Spirit says, that's the way I work. It feels like you're relinquishing control. So for those of you who have drank wine in moderation, you know that the effect that wine has on you is that you relinquish control. It's what it feels like. You're normal, I'm in task mode, I'm in busy mode, I'm all wound up, begins to let go. God is saying your normal way of doing life where you control everything, let that go so that what? I, the Holy Spirit, can take control. Does that make sense? Somebody say yes. yes. Oh, thank you. <gasps> I can shut up now. So it's really funny if we look at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and what was going on. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I wonder what that looked like when the 120 were initially filled with the Holy Spirit. There were like whirlwinds of fire that were going above them, and they're speaking this language. I wonder if it kind of just felt like they were intoxicated. That's like, I don't even know what I'm saying. Are you with me? Like, if we get inside them, what would that feel like? I bet it felt like they were, they were out of control. Yes? Are you still tracking with me? Now, there's at least 120 of them that are doing this, some bystanders are watching what's happening when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what they see. Next slide. Amazed and confused, they kept asking each other, what does this mean? Right? What the heck? What's going on? This is crazy, what we're experiencing. But others made fun of the believers, saying, these people are drunk. Now, there's always skeptics in the crowd. There's unbelievers in the crowd. I get that. But, but I think... They were being really objective, and they saw people filled with the Holy Spirit, and I really believe they did look like, in part, like they were drunk. Now, I remember the first time I was in an audience where 
the speaker talked about that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your attitude gets overflowing with so much gratitude that you'll just like, you can't even control it, but your face muscles start smiling. Right? You're not even trying to smile. It's just that, oh. And then it gets so full that it gets your vocal cords going and it tickles you deep in your stomach and you start laughing. Now, the first time I heard that, it's like, oh, come on, laughing in church. That's funny. <laughs> like, like we have this stereotype. Like you don't laugh in church, right? So when I first heard that, having my strict kind of religious background, I thought, oh, there's something wrong with that. If a person was filled with the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't laugh. This is all irony, by the way. I I'm being, this is satire. Yes, if somebody was filled with the presence of God as a free gift, they had felt shame and they had felt guilt and they felt a low identity and suddenly all that went away, I would expect them to laugh. <laughs> you guys, come on now. Doesn't that make sense? That makes total sense to me. Second big idea. The Holy Spirit causes us to be happy and joyful. I believe that is true. And the second big lie is that real Christians should be serious, strict, and sad. <laughs> A little bit tongue-in-cheek. But we live so much in our left brain, and we're so like thinking kind of people, the idea that the the Spirit would actually get out of the left side of our brain and actually enter into our face and cause us to smile, to enter into our lungs and our gut so that we just felt like laughing for no reason. Yes? We never really thought, huh, maybe that's what Christians do look like. Here's the third big idea. God wants you and he wants me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third big lie is that the vibrant presence of the Holy Spirit is just for Pentecostals. That's funny. Isn't that good? Thank you, Ashley. So, so here's the deal. I am like 200% convinced that there is this, this battle that goes on within inside of us that's not really so much kind of a religious battle Pentecostals versus non-Pentecostals. It's just that uh, being human beings, we like to be in control. We really do. And it's hard to let that go. Uh, uh, something happens in us which like, Ugh, I don't want to. So the band is probably outside having, no, they're not outside having coffee. Band, come on back up. So here's what we're going to do as Sean and... Uh, the band make their way forward. So what I'd like to do is we're going to sing a song and we're going to think about these truths and these lies. And if there was one that really stuck out, stood out to you, it's like when you said that, Dwayne, that really made sense. I want more of that. Or when you said that lie, it's like, man, that's me. That's me. And that's not true? <laughs> so I was a student at Xavier years ago, and a 
professor was talking about uh, rational emotive therapy and he read this line and he read a lie. And the lie that he read was, if you want to be, I'm going to butcher it now, but that I have to be thoroughly competent in every way if I am going to be accepted by others. This was this is human thing, not a God thing. Are you tracking with me? So the lie that some people believe is that if I'm going to be accepted by you, I've got to be perfect in just about every way. <clears throat> well, here I was, a pastor, studying to be a counselor, a master's degree at Xavier, and this professor says this, and it was like a lightning bolt from God where it pierced my heart and I started crying in class. I'm sure my classmates were like, dude, are you okay? But suddenly that lie got, got surgically removed from my heart and God said, you can't, you can't stay there. You can't stay over there. You're in deep doo-doo if you stay over there. You're in deep doo-doo with people is not going to work. You're definitely in deep doo-doo if you think God works that way. So was there a lie? Was there a big idea? Guys, you can just start playing a little bit here. But as the band is playing, I want you to stand. And if, if you like, I want to come, come forward. I want to actually move. I want to get out of, out of my head for a moment. And I want to say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to let go of a lie or I want to grab onto a big idea. I want you to come. Don't be shy. I think there's something about when we actually put action to our thoughts. Get out of your head just thinking things and put some movement to it. I double dare you. Let's sing.